0: Here is iUniverse
1: Radio with host Steve Jorgensen. The title of the book, Skip Tracing Basics and Beyond, a complete step-by-step guide for locating hidden assets, second edition. And the author is Susan Nash. And Susan joins us now on iUniverse Radio. Hello, Susan.
2: Hi, nice to meet
3: you.
1: Great to have you on the show. Uh, this is uh, really an area that probably most people don't know about. We see a lot in the news about identity theft and fraud, especially in this high-tech world. And and you say skip tracing is the art of finding information about someone who does not want to be found. This book turns you into a power searcher. Uh, so... You've been at this for some time and you've become quite an expert because there's a lot of folks out there that can steal your identity and you could turn your life upside down forever, right?
2: Absolutely, and that is a very scary thought, Steve. think that somebody could steal your identity and you have to spend the rest of your life proving who you are.
1: Well, that is, and and I think we're hearing about it more and more. We hear a lot in the news about, uh, you know, people from other nations, even China, who are trying to break into our technology and and uh, discover secrets of the government. And also, there's people all the time that are stealing people's identities. So. Uh, Tell us a little bit more. Give us the bottom line on skip tracing. Uh, Define that a little bit more.
2: Well, you know, skip tracing is the art of finding information, and it's not a science. There's no black and white. There's all sorts of areas of gray. And if you think about the ramifications of what's going on to us in cyberspace right now as we speak and has been happening all week, is that they're basically skip tracing for our assets. And they're doing that by trying to hack into the corporations, computers, and websites. And it's a very scary thought because these are types of criminals. Now, this uh, current gang that's out there right now that's attacking not only us, but of course other countries all over the world, Some countries have already taken major steps to protect themselves from it, but these apparently are functioning out of a military um, facility located in China. Now, the Chinese government says, no, no, we're not doing it, But and maybe they are not. As a government, maybe people that are employed by them, like government employees, that are actually doing it and playing for a a race against time. And it's actually just a challenge for them. It's how to solve the puzzle. So it's very hard for us to be able to actually crack that because you have a catch-22 situation there.
1: Well, your book is packed with case studies, uh, illustrations, exhibits, examples, tables, websites. I mean, it's loaded. It's a a how-to to become... I guess an expert in this field to help people to uh, really understand how they can, uh, with little or no investigative experience, uh, to prepare and analyze this kind of information. Uh, Why don't you give us an example so we better understand what this is all about?
2: Well, you know, in the book I take you through a step-by-step procedure or a basic mold that you could use for anything that you're searching for, whether it's a skip or whether it's an asset or anything even in life, is that you need uh, a goal and you have to have a strategy in order to get to that goal. And my book helps you plan your strategy for your particular skip. And I give you... Uh, step-by-step procedures for you to follow that you can actually do them at your office or wherever you will do them. And your own research, I give you all different websites to go to where you can file electronically and research information electronically, most of which is free because of the Freedom of Information Act. So, it's actually a little bit of a be-your-own-detective, and for the detectives, it raises the bar for them, so everybody's very happy with it so far, and I'm very excited about it.
1: Now, we have uh, a couple chapters here. You say nabbing debtor skips. What do you mean? What's a debtor skip?
2: Well, a debtor skip is, you know, there's different kinds of skips, believe it or not, Um There's an intentional skip, there's a hardcore skip, and there's the hardcore uh, fraud skip. So um, some people are skipped by accident because they didn't know they owed the money or they accidentally moved and they didn't leave a forwarding address. And then there are intentional skips, people that, let's say, they get into hard times or they break a leg and they can't work and they're intentionally hiding and they don't want to be found. And then there's the hardcore intentional scammer type skip, which are people that are outright um, criminals that are preying on innocent victims. And there's different ways to catch those people. Of course, the person who Forgot that they owed a bill or forgot to put in a change of address is not the same type of person as the criminal who is looking to steal your identity and scam you out of your life savings, for example. So the way to approach each one would be different ways. There would be different lines or different strategies to get to each one.
1: You say that every chapter of this book mentions skip tracing secrets that have been put to a practical test by thousands of skip tracers nationwide, so these are proven.
2: Yes, absolutely. There are some methods that are tried and true. Uh, For example, public records is one example of those secrets. And it's not enough to know that public records are the secrets, but the real secret is learning how to search within the public records very rapidly and that's what I give a little bit more of of how to become a power searcher within the public record so let's say that you're looking for somebody who is a government employee and you know that they work for the city of New York or the city of Los Angeles you may be able to access government records where they would be found in a certain format. And I can teach you how to find that with a command where it would take you hours and hours of intensive reading to go through all of the information. So those are the types of secrets that I give in every chapter in the book.
1: Well, you've had some interesting reviews, one by a uh, person with Publisher PI Magazine, he says, uh, Jimmy, is it Mysis?
2: Yes, it is.
1: Uh, I know the private investigator business, and this is an amazingly valuable resource for seasoned investigators and any person considering a career as a private investigator and those who seek advice on how to do it themselves. So I, you seem to cover all levels.
2: Yes, I try to cover every area as thoroughly as possible for every different part of the industry because while they are the publisher of, or Jimmy is the editor and publisher of the Private Investigator magazine, and I will be speaking at their super conference this summer, June 21st, if anybody would like to come and hear, um, I give specific secrets that are better for that industry than would be, for example, for the uh, general public or the collection industry, for example, would be different secrets. They would go to different websites and have access to different types of information and be looking for different types of information and have different goals with the information. So I try to tailor the classes And the presentations to each industry so that they are industry specific.
1: We use credit information so uh, liberally today on the internet, and we, you know, give out our credit cards to waiters and waitresses, and, uh, you know, a lot of people see our private information. Uh, There's online that. situations that ask for our Social Security number, uh, how, you know, how uh, just liable are, I mean, not liable, how open are we to this kind of information to be stolen?
2: Well, you know, unfortunately, the reality of the situation is that the criminals will always be criminals, and they're not going to go away. So it's in our best interest to keep on top of it, and we do our best to try to keep on top of it. Unfortunately, these criminal types don't usually go after individuals like you and I. They go after a massive hunt, like they will attack one of our corporations and they will get into that information and try to steal all of it. How vulnerable are we? I think that we're on top of it, and I think that although it happens, as soon as it happens, it gets caught pretty much almost instantaneously, and they do everything that they can to cure it. In many cases, I've seen some of the major institutions, like some of the banks, have to cancel all of the MasterCards that were used that day in that retailer, for example. So you'll get a notice saying your card has to be changed because it was breached. So they do their best to stay on top of it, and they're always catching the criminal thieves. They're constantly catching the identity rings, and I think that eventually they'll get the bad boys the way they did Osama bin Laden, and we may be able to get some peace, at least I hope we will.
1: A lot of databases in your book.
2: Yes, and those are some of the secrets that I give away, but It's not so much that I'm giving away the database. It's the way to use the database. A lot of people will know, oh, there's a uh, website called Facebook. But obviously, everybody knows Facebook. A lot of people aren't on Facebook. A lot of people don't know how to search in Facebook. Facebook has just introduced a brand new graph search, which is super cool because you can limit your search. So it's actually gone into the search business, and it's how do you search in Facebook without wasting your time, especially for people that don't use Facebook. So I try to give away a lot of great secrets.
1: So obviously skips can be criminals, but um, they can also be innocent people who don't even know they're classified as skips, uh, because skips can even be dead, dead people.
2: Absolutely, and you know skips often are dead people, believe it or not. I've seen estate matters where the estate or the beneficiary or the uh trustees for the estate were actually debtors because they didn't pay what was written in the will, so there's all different kinds of skips there's corporate skips, there's corporations that function that way. they set up a corporation intentionally set up for failure so that you won't be able to go after them. So there are so many different kinds of skips that you first have to, I think, determine what type of skip do you have, and then you always have to try to step into the shoes of the skip, or as I like to think of it, think of who they are and how they would feel and think in order to get into the mindset of the skip whether it's a corporation or an individual.
1: So your purpose is to help everyone to learn to work smart and not hard.
2: That's exactly correct. And one of my favorite teaching secrets is that I like the databases to work for me so that I don't have to work for the databases. And what I mean by that is I like to be able to understand how to search Efficiently in the database, whatever database it is, whether it's Facebook or LinkedIn or whether it's a corporate website.
1: Another reviewer said a must have tool for every legal library. So it sounds like you know, you're being recognized by some of the best.
2: Yes, I am. Fortunately, I have gotten some really great recognition and I'm very grateful to the DBA, the Debt Buyers Association, who loves my book and has endorsed it, and also to NARCA, which is the National Association of Retail Collection Attorneys. They also have endorsed it for me, and I'm very proud of, to be of service to those associations.
1: We've been listening to Susan Nash. She is the author of her book, Skip Tracing Basics and Beyond, a complete step-by-step guide for locating hidden assets, second edition. Susan, tell us how to get your
2: book. Well, you can get my book at iUniverse, at Amazon, Mm -hmm. at Barnes & Noble, on the Kindle, on the Nookie, and on Audible, or at your favorite online retailer. Thank you
1: so much, Susan, for being with us on iUniverse Radio.
2: Thank you, Steve, for having me.
1: Why don't you look up the schedules on this radio station and join me and Beatles listeners everywhere to hear the latest releases from the Beatles on Beatles and beyond with Pete Dix.
4: Evermore, people have the means to live, but no meaning to live for.
0: To iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen.
1: The title of the book, ISIS Code Revelations from Brain Research and System Science on the Search for Human Perfection and Happiness. And the author is Ariane Page. And Ariane joins us now on iUniverse Radio. Hello, Ariane.
5: Hello, Steve.
1: Great to have you with us. Uh, This is our second interview about a very comprehensive book, of course, ISIS Code. You need to help us understand why you call it that. But first of all, uh, this, uh, as you say, explains a system which is a model to nature itself and was therefore unconsciously used by every human condition, this ISIS Code. And, uh, of course, with the latest brain research research, it can be used to understand the brain, its maturization and evolution, and it's aimed at different age groups and really is talking about how, uh, how this ISIS code affects our health, our relationships. It's very, very comprehensive, over 600 pages. Uh, tell us about the ISIS code. Where does this come from, Ariane?
5: Okay, so as you said yourself, uh, there is a model behind energy. This was uh, put forward by David Bohm, who was the protégé of Einstein. David Bohm was a quantum physicist, and uh, he's not the first one who thought about this uh, order, that this directing energy does matter. It was always intuited upon, and uh, which is normal, because if there is indeed a model behind energy, This model is expressed through everything. So if you go in ancient time, before our modern science started, the if you look at sacred text, this model was expressed intuitively. Because at the time, the way we would express ourselves was more uh, in a holistic fashion. There's this model, in fact, has two poles. It's one interaction which is uh, expressed in two different ways. With the advent of evolution and maturation of our brain, we go uh, cyclically through those two inter- two poles. One that can be considered as feminine, receptive, the other as masculine, expressive. So what happened is that our material science has discarded an aspect of this model because it wanted to concentrate on the expressive aspect, which is what we see around us. But in doing so, we have put aside our inner selves because for us, it's not objective. It's subjective. The problem is that now with quantum physics, we understand that subjectivity is impossible to discard when life becomes a part of the equation. So when I went through, if you look at nature, you know nature expresses this model, and if you look through tradition, you have some traditions like the Egyptian one, which is where the story of Isis and Osiris comes from, You have the Chinese one, you have the Indian one. Both the Chinese and the Indian one, we know through the medical aspect of this system, which gave for the Indian uh, tradition the Ayurvedic medicine and for the Chinese tradition, which gave the acupuncture that we all know, the yin and yang and all this. And now the Egyptian, uh, which is quite fascinating, is that you can find exactly the same model you can find it through the story of the five main gods, Isis and Osiris. So Isis is the wife of Osiris. If you want to know a little bit about the story, Osiris was the first god, the first born god, and he was killed by his brother, and he was cut in pieces. So Isis, his wife, his widow, went to find all these pieces to put them together because she needed she wanted her husband to be back alive so this is really ourselves Isis is a part of our inner self. Osiris is a part of our inner self, and even the one who killed Osiris is a part of our inner self, so we need to reconnect all these parts that are a little bit All over the places, our thoughts are on one side, our emotions somewhere else, our physical activity somewhere else, and we're disconnected. If we want to reach happiness, we have to reconnect all those different parts. And what is interesting also is that in brain research, with all the new research that are done on the brain, we now found that this structure, this model is expressed through the brain also. And when we don't follow this model, there's all kinds of imbalances, and we have what we see now.
1: So, so it's, a, it's a problem of following this mostly masculine point of view. If we leave out the feminine, then you don't have, uh, I guess you don't have order.
5: Yes, it's because really uh, when we say, when I talk to the general public, and I say feminine and masculine, they have a tendency to think that it's gender-related, it's not. Feminine and masculine are more seen that the, in the two poles of one action. We are, as if you look at the gender, a woman, a woman will express uh, her, 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 will express herself, she will be more linked to the feminine aspect that she will expect, and men will express more their masculine aspect. So what happened is that in our brain, we have different aspects, and all these aspects, even though they are the same structures, men and women use them differently, because we express different aspects. It's generally, we could say that the feminine aspect, because it's receptive, is more linked to the inner self, and the masculine aspect, because it's expressive, is more linked to the outer self. So... Because our science wanted to be objective, we had to concentrate on the outer self. We couldn't do otherwise. And also, because evolution is not static, we are going through phases, and this is what I explain in the book. Even human evolution goes through different phases, and we are now ending a phase where it's the outer that was the most important, that we had to concentrate on. But of course, all these phases, they bring great gifts because we have planes now, we, have, we can speak to each other, we can communicate with our listeners, we can have internet and everything, but at the same time, there are some problems that are associated with that because every time you bring an imbalance or you express an imbalance in the general system, you have symptoms. So all the depression, uh, as I said in the other interview, 18, 18.8 million and more of adult Americans will suffer of depression this year, in one year. That's not to count about the other countries. The other countries' rates are often higher. So we, we all, and everything is connected, whether it's the... Uh, the financial crisis, which costs over twelve point eight trillion to Americans, whether it's uh, the gang rape in India or this, it's all linked to the same imbalance. So we have to understand what is happening here. So this we Im- de- so, f-
1: so from this imbalance, this is where our emotional, uh, our emotions come from, and why we see so much, obviously, um, emotional problems. In the world
5: yes well the emotion problem if you look at the brain there are all these different aspects of the model there are five aspects they all control and regulate each other this is how you can have an auto regulated system I explain it in, in the book so there is an aspect when it's not when there's not enough when it doesn't exist or it's put aside it cannot control the other aspect. And the emotions that you see now and the depression is a lack of control on what I call the mammalian brain. There's no control there, and you have depression. And why are women more inclined to depression than men? It's because women are expressive, on their emotional level it's not that they have more emotions than men is that men are more receptive at that at that level they keep they keep that to themselves and women are more expressive that's why women have more depression and you could go there you could go through different illnesses anorexia schizophrenia and you can understand them through this system now emotions uh, Carl Gustav Jung said that the emotions are unfolding following an instinctual model an archetype. So he could understand that there also that there was a model behind. This is what where is very interesting because Carl Gustav Jung this is a psychoanalyst was friend with the quantum physics group and also with Einstein and there was collaboration between those because he wanted psychology to become scientific. So this idea of model, you know, it has been there for quite a long time. It's just emerging now more and more. So uh, when we understand the model, behind the emotion, we have more control over it. This is why also I say that love reveals us and engages the totality of who we are. Because it's true love, True love that you understand your own identity that you understand yourself
1: so that's how identity is built is through love and expressing that
5: yes there's two there's two points with uh, identity there's uh, the physical aspect which will give the personality you know the persona is a mask it's not something that is your true identity but it's what you use to survive in this world and then there's the the symbolic aspect. Which is the individuality. And for these, uh, Daniel Siegel, which is a clinical professor of psychiatry at the UCLA uh, School of Medicine, he said, uh, it is the human connections, so uh, you could say relationship, which create the neural connections from which the mind emerges, or from which the mind is expressed. So this is the physical aspect. Now, the symbolic aspect, the individuality, is what Carl Gustav Jung said. He says, our image of God, because we create our own God, we know that, our image of God is what faces and defines ourselves. So this is the symbolic aspect, it's the individuality. But what we learn in brain research is that the aspect that is linked to the symbolic or to the individuality, in fact, Control the physical aspect, which means that it, the, the I call it the human brain. The individuality is linked to the human brain. It's where we put filters. You know, what you believe, what you don't believe. And these filters will influence your emotion and influence your rationality. But it's subconscious. You're not conscious of this. It's how you have been raised. It, it's, it's linked to the connections you did in your life, how you, the relationship you had with your father, mother, and brother, sister. It's all this that will create your identity. So, if we become conscious of this, we can work on it.
1: What can we individually do to better the world?
5: <laughs> Start by learning about ourselves. Understand how we function. Uh, you know, it's like we we are in a room. We're comfortable. We have always been in that room, and we're not really going outside. So this is why I wrote this book, because we are now in the in a society that has put emphasis on only one aspect, and. Our evolution is blocked because of that. Not only that, but we are regressing. I'm trying to explain that in the book. And if we want to go further, individually, we all have to learn about ourselves and to put a light on this. This is why I wrote this book, and I I wrote through different aspects of the brain. So when you read uh, Isis Code... Isis code is really this element that will put all your different aspects, the physical, the emotional, the symbolic, the rational, the social one, together to work together, not one aspect work, working against another one, but all together. So I go through the, the, the brain, and it's like a pilgrimage. So you have the reptilian brain, which is associated to our physical aspect. The mammalian brain is our emotional aspect. The human brain is the symbolic, the archetypal a- aspect, which is very important but which and it gives your identity. It's probably the most important part, but we've put it aside. Then the analytical brain well, this one we all know it's all linked to university to uh, information this one is very well fed then the universal brain. Which is the social aspect and also universal. It's our link with everything, with all the different. So I, I use that because we have, we all have a very strong drive to express our potentiality. So if we want to better ourselves and better the world, it's just to stop blocking our own path toward happiness. Because now it's blocked. And it's blocked not because we consciously want to block it, it's because we don't know about ourselves. So if we want to go, whether and everybody in in your even if you live alone, you don't see anybody because we are all interconnected. As soon as you you con, you think about good ideas, good feeling you want to better yourself, you learn about yourself, you better yourself, you better the whole world. Because this is one thing, is that we're all interconnected more profoundly than we ever thought. There's even a sense that is associated with that, which I call the sense of synergy, which has a physical and a subtle apparatus. And uh, I describe it in the book. This sense makes that we are connected with everything and everyone. So we have to understand that this will better humanity because it's a prerequisite when we say uh, liberté, fraternité, égalité, this is a prerequisite. We cannot have liberty, fraternity, and and, uh, uh, equality if we don't understand the unity of of everything.
1: Very well said. Uh, Unity—that is a key word in all of this. Uh, the ISIS Code, revelations from brain research and system science on the search for human perfection and happiness. And we've been listening to Ariane Page. And Ariane, tell us how to get your book.
5: So online, you will find it. Uh, Barnes and Noble, Amazon. Uh, Everywhere you can find e-books. Uh, for your library, in the, the booksellers, uh, the physical book, and if you want to go to the store, you have to pre-order it. Uh, if you go on the, my Facebook, ISIS Code Facebook, you'll have excerpt information. I also have a website, www.isiscode.com, where you will find uh, those interview and also information to how to how to get the book and where it's the cheapest.
1: Well, thank you very much, Ariane, for being with us on iUniverse Radio. It's a
5: pleasure.
0: You're listening to iUniverse Radio. We'll be back
4: right after these messages. Show me the money! Okay, we will. We're going to teach you how to tell your money where to go. It's Intelligent Investing with Pam Otten Pam believes investing isn't rocket science. This is the financial advisor who's in your corner and truly understands and cares about you and helping you achieve your goals. Securities and advisory services are offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA SIPC. It's Intelligent Investing with Pam Otten on Togenet connect with juliana and connect with what lies beneath friday afternoons at 4 3 central on toginet.com juliana is a marriage family and child therapist who wants people to connect connect with what lies beneath those truths and answers and through her counseling practice she has helped others find their personal power and fulfill their dreams and she wants to do the same for you here on connect with juliana through intimate discussions, intriguing subject matters, and the expertise of her guests. For more on the show and Juliana, check out her webpage. Connect with inmedia.com. Juliana will cover it all. Nothing is off limits. She wants to know what matters to you. Make the connection. Tune into Toginet to connect with Juliana to find out the facts that could be hidden beneath the surface. Connect with Juliana on Toginet. To make a quality connection in your life. Friday afternoons at 4, 3 central on toginet.com. Welcome back to
0: iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen.
1: The title of the book, A Case for Wisdom. A son's story about reconciling with his father. And the author... Jeffrey Woods and Jeff joins us now on iUniverse Radio. Hello, Jeff.
3: Hi, Steve. How are you?
1: Great to have you with us. I think the title title says a lot. Uh, obviously, this is a, a journey of yours in reconciling with your father. But you describe the wisdom you say from your Christian faith that helped you reconcile with your father, uh, uh, and this wisdom from your faith uh, showed you how to move from hating your father to loving him and we're yes. going to find out about that long rough road your father was on and the whole family was on and then thank god you've come full circle and uh you love your father again
3: absolutely yes mm-hmm.
1: but it was a long journey
3: long yeah it took over 35 years
1: and painful
3: and painful very painful very confusing very painful very frustrating um but I'm glad I did come full circle, like you said. It was worth the wait. It was worth the time and energy to put into into that because uh, at his death, I was at peace. And was he? Uh, yes, I believe so.
1: Oh, very good. Well, you were a great catalyst to help him uh, get on another road as well because he went down some dark roads there.
3: He did. He did. And yeah, he made some bad mistakes,
1: and not necessarily all just his well, it was his fault. he chose to do them, but he was under a lot of pressure, incredible amount of uh, when you get that big diagnosis that you 've got cancer, that changes everything,
3: absolutely, especially it was back in the, i believe the early seventies yeah, you know, there weren't support groups, therapy wasn't very big. Um, we really didn't know much about it. And he was young at the time, but the doctor said this could go either way. They really didn't know. Um, and so that was a huge burden on him physically. You know, it wasn't just after his surgery, he continued to have health problems and it was, um, just very hard on him physically. And then the thought of, you know, is he going to die? You know, my mother told me like 20 years later, she just said, I had him dead and buried five different times. So that's a tremendous amount of pressure and fear to live under.
1: Mm-hmm. So take us back before this diagnosis of cancer. What, were, what was the family like back
3: then? Well, it was back in the 60s. We were, I would say, a typical middle-class family. Grew up in La Quisina, which is a suburb of L.A., uh, two boys, then uh, two girls. Mom stayed at home. Dad worked. Um, happy, great neighborhood. Um, new people on the street. You know, kids always played together. Um, I always felt very comforted and safe. Uh, I come home from school. My mom was always there. Um, dad was an engineer, so we had a good income. So it was, it was good times.
1: And would you consider you were close to your dad then?
3: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we we did a lot more uh, together, you know, the, 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 the gray wife stuff, the sports things and, and mm-hmm. things like that together.
1: And what year was it when he got the diagnosis?
3: I think I don't remember the exact year, but I think it was early 70s.
1: And how old were you?
3: So I was probably 11 or 12. I was still in elementary school.
1: So at that moment in time, uh, can you remember what you were feeling?
3: Oh, yeah. When my mom told us, I remember we were in our den watching TV with my brother. She came in and she said, your dad has stomach cancer. And I just immediately froze because his dad had passed away from stomach cancer. So I just thought, well, he's going to die. Because that was my only reality at the, at that point. I just thought well, my grandfather died, so my dad is going to die. So I just, you know, I just struck with fear and just thinking, how could we survive without him? You're know, looking over at my mom, mother, as she was uh, saying this. You know, she's crying, she's weeping. You know, she had no job at the time; she was a homemaker with four kids, and I, I just was very frozen in fear.
1: Right. Typical reaction, definitely.
3: Oh, absolutely, yeah.
1: So how did your father deal with it?
3: He he kept uh, things to himself pretty much. Uh, he pretty much thought, you know, this is just something I have to do. Uh, I just have to do, it. I have to get through it, and then I have to get back to work to support my family. Um, but I think the burden that he might die also was... Uh, huge for him, as a huge weight on his shoulders as well. Uh, but he was a trooper, and he when he came home from the hospital. He got back to work as soon as he could, um, but there was a change in him also. He was different. He looked different. He was a lot thinner. He didn't have as much energy, and uh, his temper was a lot shorter. You know, I didn't kind of like walking on eggshells, you know, is he going to explode now or, or not? You know, his his behavior was a lot more unpredictable.
1: So were you afraid of him?
3: Yeah, I I, don't know if he, I was afraid he was going to die. I was afraid to get close to him because I thought I would catch cancer. Um, and then there were times I was afraid of him I, because I didn't know how he was going to react you know, if he was going to fly off the handle or or not. Um, So there there was some fear towards him.
1: So he did enough times that you didn't ever know if he was going to lose control.
3: Right. Right.
1: So how would you describe the spiritual life in your home?
3: Well, at that time we had... um, My mom was Catholic, so we went to Catholic church, and then we stopped, and we went to an Episcopal church down the street, And but we stopped going about, as a family, I'd say in junior, when I was in junior high, we just, for some reason, stopped. Um, And then in high school, I kind of picked it back up, and I went through Young Life, and I got involved in the local Baptist church, so I started to pick up my faith in high school on my own.
1: How is it that you literally came to hate your father, who you love so much?
3: Yeah. Um, well, things in, in our home as I was progressing through junior high and high school, you know, it was, what the one thing I learned about fear is if it's not confronted. It doesn't stay dormant. It moves through different stages, such as negativity, anger, and hatred. And for me, hatred towards my father came, this was about a month before I left to, for college. He came home one evening um, and we were all in the living room and he said, uh, I have something to tell the family, this is very important and it's going to change the whole direction of our family. And I thought, okay, here it is, his cancer has come back, he's going to die. I've been waiting all these years, I knew it was going to happen and here, here it is. But he didn't say that. He said, I'm in love with another woman, and I'm leaving. And he just left. And I was in shock. I couldn't believe this. I wasn't expecting this. Um,
1: Your mother wasn't expecting it?
3: She wasn't expecting it either. And um, we weren't raised that this was okay to do. Um, He taught us that adultery was wrong, and yet he he did do that. I was very disappointed in him, uh, but the real hate came in when his mistress started to call our house and talk to her mother and tell my mother things like, don't ask him for more money. And this was just devastating for her. I, I hated seeing my mom this way. She would talk to his kids about things. And so I was—I remember I was home uh, from college and I was out to lunch with him. And I said to him, dad, uh, tell her, his mistress, to stop calling the house. You know, this is upsetting us, it's upsetting mom. You know, it's, it's awful. She has no business or right to do this. And he said to me, he said, I have no control over what she does. And I just stuck in my chair. I, I could not believe that that, those words came out of his mouth. I am his own flesh and blood. He's known me for 20 years. He's known this woman for 2 years and he won't protect me. And so I decided that I'm going to hate him. I made a commitment I'm going to hate him and his mistress. And that's when the hate started. I couldn't stand him for not uh, protecting me. He didn't stand up for his own son.
1: So what kind of an impact did this hatred have on you?
3: You know, it had an opposite effect. I thought it would make me strong. I thought I'd be able to stand up to him and her but it had the opposite effect. Uh, She would still call. I would still talk to her because I thought I should be a good Christian and she could manipulate me and I was easily manipulated to listen to her. turns out she was an alcoholic. uh, She wasn't making any sense. um, And against him either, I just would not, it was hard for me to speak the truth to him, to stand up to him. And that baffled me. I thought this commitment, You know, the commitment I made was I was going to hate him with every ounce of emotion I could, uh, and it didn't come to fruition. It didn't do for me what I thought it would do for me.
1: Well, how did forgiveness come into your life?
3: Well, forgiveness, again, it is a Christian principle, and I had heard it going to to church and and all this uh, about forgiveness. But the way I heard about it didn't make sense to me. Like, I was just supposed to forgive my dad. But I, I thought, well, how can I forgive him if he hasn't asked for it himself? It didn't make sense to me. So one day I was listening to the radio, uh, the Dennis Prager radio show, and one of his guests was Jesse Peterson, who was talking about how he hated his mother. And I instantly, that grabbed my attention because it's like, well, I hate my father and his mistress. And he said, um, he didn't say to his mother, for, uh, I forgive you. He said, Mother, please forgive me for hating you for the way you mistreated me. I had never heard of forgiveness that way. He was also more of the victim, but he was asking her uh, to forgive him for hating her. And that just grabbed my attention because it made sense to me. Like, he had allowed hatred to injure him, just like I had. And so he was taking responsibility to try to get rid of it. Um, and that's how I first heard about this new concept of forgiveness.
1: And how long did it take you to literally work through all that?
3: Yeah. It took me a couple of years. Um, I actually went out to speak with him Um because I kind of looked at him as a mentor, and it took me about a couple of years, and I finally did the same thing. I asked my father to forgive me for hating him.
1: Hmm. And what was his reaction?
3: His reaction was he couldn't believe it. Um, he first said, "You have nothing to ask forgiveness for." Immediately, I was thinking, "Okay, there's my out," you know. But then I said, "No, no, no, no. This is really. I did this. It was wrong." Um, and he was, he really respected that. And, uh, it just turned the direct trajectory of our relationship completely.
1: And when he passed away, what kind of relationship did you have with him?
3: You know, it was completely different from, um, from when I was younger, like in junior high and high school. Um, with that, um, there was just a lot more kind gestures involved. Uh, I was more attentive to what he needed, you know, as he got older. I really was concerned about taking, helping take care of him, doing things that he couldn't do himself. Um, and it was just more involved. I'd call him up and, you know, Dad, let's get together because he would like to talk. He'd like to talk about politics and religion, and I would just listen. Um, and then really the final act was... Um, my younger sister and I found him dead in his condo. And I just remember that evening, I was just running towards him that whole evening, um, you know, going towards his body, seeing, you know, if he had just fallen down, hoping he had just fallen down and would wake up. That wasn't the case. You know, I ran out to get his address for my sister to call 911. I ran back to him. And um, obviously... He had passed away, and really the last act of service I did for him. I saw that he was naked, and I covered his nakedness. And if you had asked me 30 years ago if I would have been able to do this, because as a kid I was always afraid of his death. Mm -hmm. But the strength that God gave me through reconciling with him, I was just, I was right there. I was right there. Touched him. I was right there in his death, um, not afraid. And um you know afterwards I was I was in shock because I just didn't expect to see it, but I was at peace because nothing had been left unsaid. nothing.
1: Well that's wonderful, and your hope is that your story can help others who may be going through a similar road with a, a parent.:
3: Absolutely and it, it is possible. Miracles do happen and it is possible. Does't mean it's going to happen in every situation but it is possible. I didn't think all of this would happen, you know, but it, it did. And I thank God for it.
1: The title of the book, A Case for Wisdom A Son's Story About Reconciling with His Father. And the author is Jeffrey Woods. Jeff, tell us how to get your book.
3: Uh, you can go to my website, www.wisdomcourage.com. I'm also on Facebook, uh, also Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, and, of course, iUniverse.
1: Thank you so much for being with us on iUniverse Radio, Jeff.
3: Thank you.
0: iUniverse Radio is brought to you by iUniverse, the leading book marketing, editorial services, and supported self-publishing company. iUniverse Radio is produced by Toginet Radio,
2: radio with a cutting edge.